I want to encourage you to keep your Bibles open in the Gospel of John. This is where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to look at some other verses as well. I'm not sure how it is for you, but typically the Christmas season is one of the best times where people have the opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. Because it is during this time that we remember and celebrate that Jesus entered the world. Amen? That it was through the virgin birth of Mary, conceived through the Holy Spirit, that God comes to his own creation. And so there's typically more of an opportunity to share with people, with family, with friends, with co-workers, with neighbors, the true reality of why we celebrate Christmas. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you felt like it was the perfect opportunity. Where you shared Jesus with someone. They seemed to be open, had lots of questions. They even maybe saw their deep need and their sin to repent and to turn to God. And then when you thought, when you thought they were so close, instead of humbling themselves, repenting and believing, what they chose to do instead was to reject. And in that moment, it is impossible humanly not to feel like, what did I do wrong? Or, or what could I have said differently? Or what could I have said better? Or how could I have convinced them? And the truth is this. There is nothing that you and I can say to convince someone that they are a sinner in need of God's grace through Jesus Christ. All we can simply do is to present God's word to them. And it has to be the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts them. To be able to repent and to humble themselves and turn to God. We're simple mouthpieces, right? That is all. And yet there are other times when we might just be having conversations with people. Not even taking maybe what we're saying serious and they seem very casual. And the person is open. And they ask a few questions and the conversation goes by quickly. And we don't even take it that serious. And then the next thing we know, Sunday rolls around and they show up at service. And, and God begins to work in their lives and in their hearts. They want to learn. They want to grow. A few months later, they come and they share, listen, God has saved me. I, I've seen my sin. I repented. I humbled my, I had this feeling burning inside, this emotion of God getting my attention. They get baptized. They start serving. And you're like, whoa. You know, from that little moment of just having a casual conversation, God saved someone. And we have but a part to play by being a witness. By shining the light of Jesus Christ. So that's the title of our talk today. And that's the focus of John's next section of verses from verse 6 to 13. It's that Jesus is the light of Christmas. The light of Christmas. And he starts off in verse 6 now. And he transitions to now tell us that there is a man. Now you need to understand that the writer of the Gospel of John is John. And yet he's going to speak of a man whose name is also John. But he is not speaking of himself. He is speaking of John the Baptist. We get a fuller picture of who John the Baptist is in this same chapter in verses 19 to 34 where we'll see what his role was, and we're going to be covering that in the next weeks. But today, in verses 6 to 8, we get a brief summary of what John's mission was. It's clear from the beginning of verse 6 that there is a clear contrast 
between John and Jesus. If you remember last week, we saw that Jesus was where? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. We learned that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God of the Holy Spirit. And that God the Son, Jesus Christ, was at the beginning of Genesis 1-1. That he was there because Jesus is pre-existent. He has always been. He has all the power. He has all of God's nature because he is God himself. And that we saw that he was the agent The word that when God spoke creation into being, that Jesus was the one who formed and shaped everything and brought it into being. Amen? And this is the word that has come to dwell with men. And now in verse 6, we see this contrast. There was a man. But in verses 1 to 5, there was no man. There was a God. His name was Jesus Christ, who was in the beginning, who created all things. He did not just create all things, but he is the one who sustains them all. Because he is the light that gives life. So we transition that from which is divine to now what is physical, what is temporal, humanity. There was a man. Now we're no longer at the beginning of the account of Genesis chapter 1, now we're brought to the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus. And this man that God, this man, in verse 6, is sent by whom? By God. This is important because it speaks to the divine intention of God acting. It's God's will that someone would come before Jesus the Savior To prepare people to encounter Jesus. John the Baptist is the forerunner. He is the one who God sends to the people of Israel to prepare them to meet the Savior. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And why did John come? He came to be a witness. And we need to understand that John is coming in the same way as an Old Testament prophet came to the people of Israel. We we see John the Baptist is very much like Moses. People of Israel are in Egypt enslaved and God speaks to Moses and sends them to Israel as their deliverer. To set them free from their bondage of slavery. And and John the Baptist has very much the same role. He is a prophet just like Moses. And in the same way that God sends Moses to Israel, God sends John the Baptist to his people of Israel also. And yet he comes not as a deliverer, but as a witness. And his job is to point to who? Jesus, the deliverer. Jesus, the one who will come now, not to set free the people of Israel from the oppression of Rome. This isn't a political coming of Jesus Christ, but he's coming to deliver the people of Israel and the whole world from the curse of sin, from the power of death, from eternal damnation. And so this word witness here, when it speaks of John, Coming as a witness, to bear as a witness, this is a legal term that was used in the courtroom of someone who was brought in to testify to what they have seen as eyewitnesses. You guys hear what I'm saying? A witness was brought in to be able to give first-hand account of what they had observed to testify to the events as being true. 
This is what John is saying, the writer, about John the Baptist. Well, why do we call him John the Baptist? Well, we call him John the Baptist because a part of his role in preparing people to encounter Jesus, the Deliverer, the Savior, was to baptize people for the remission of sins. It was a way for people to have an outward display of their willingness to humble themselves and repent and to now be ready once again to allow God to work in their lives. So we call him John the Baptist because he was baptizing people in the wilderness, in the Jordan River. Because as people came to them, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn back to God. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. Again, we're going to get more of these details in the next weeks to come. But for right now, John the writer tells us that John the Baptist has a very clear mission. And his mission is what? It's to be a witness, not of himself, but to point to Jesus Christ. And in the hopes of what? That people will come to believe that what John is saying about the coming Savior is true. That people will put faith and belief in the witness of John about who Jesus is. Are you guys with me? How many of you guys know or have seen signposts. You guys should all be putting up your hands if you drove here today. If you didn't, we need to talk. Because I'm not sure how you would have gotten here. Right? Okay. <laughs> These young guys, they don't see they don't see like speed limit posts. These guys, just so you know. <laughs> don't ever get into a car with them. I'm joking. I'm joking. There's some parents here who might have to let their kids go in their cars with them. They're very safe drivers, believe me. But we have signposts. And signposts in themselves, they have no value. Right? Why? Well, because they point to something. Right? They, they orient a person in knowing where they need to go with the help of that signpost. So that they can arrive at the destination. Right? When we see signs on the road and say two kilometers away or, you know, Burlington or Mississauga, you know that you're close and that you're near and you look at the sign of the exit that you need to get off. It's there to help you, to orient you. This was John's role. His mission, his sole purpose, his singular focus was to come to bear witness to who Jesus Christ was. Are you with me? There was a man. His name was John. And he came to be a witness. To bear witness about the light. That all might believe through him. This through here is speaking of John. That what John would come to share about the Savior, what he would come to say about Jesus, that those words, his proclamation of the Savior coming, that it would lead to faith and belief in people's lives. I want you to know that you and I have been called to be witnesses just like John. In two weeks, our Savior will come. In two weeks, our Savior will come. We will celebrate the coming of our Savior. You and I are witnesses. Can you imagine John the Baptist? It's as if he's in the courtroom sitting in the witness box, testifying to, giving an account to who the Savior would be to come. To deliver Israel from its sin. And, and the courtroom is there and people are listening and they have an opportunity to respond to his message. You and I have this same opportunity. We have become witnesses by God saving us. And now just like John, you and I are called to go and to share Jesus Christ with our friends, our families, our co-workers, our neighbors, the people that we come into contact with. And even more than John, each one of us have a specific testimony of how God has saved us. We have something to say. We have something to share. 
We, we cannot remain silent. If God has worked in us and he has saved us, we have something to go and to offer and to say to people. Something that is valid. Something that is true. We need to bear witness of how God has saved us. It's not our job how people will or will not respond. But our hope is that as they hear our testimony of how God has saved us from our sin and brought us into his family, that, that as we speak of the Savior Jesus Christ, it's not that they're putting faith in our words, but it's that they're putting faith in the person that we're presenting to them that has saved us. This was John's role. He is the witness of Christmas. He is the witness to the light. We know clearly from the previous verses, 1 to 5, that Jesus is the light that gives life. This is John's role. This is what he's speaking of. He is testifying to the truth. The great thing is, it's not just John that's testifying. He's not the only witness in this gospel, if anything, one of the most incredible things that you will learn from the Gospel of John is this. There are over 40 instances in the Gospel of John where you see someone being a witness of Jesus. John himself, the writer, he intentionally distinguishes himself from John the Baptist for this very reason. Because in the same way that John the Baptist was called to bear witness of Jesus, so was John the writer who was one of the 12 apostles. Who Jesus had called, who was along the shoreline fishing and said to John, the son of Zebedee, come follow me and I will make you fishes of men. And then John spends the next three years being taught by Jesus. And then John is commissioned by Jesus. And then John is the one who is there watching his Savior being arrested and being crucified. Then Jesus raises on the third day from the dead. And who is there? John and the other disciples. And what is it that Jesus says to his 12 apostles before he ascends to heaven? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Then now this same John who is writing, he is commissioned to what? To go and be a witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's also a witness. So at the beginning of the Gospel of John, you see John the Baptist bearing witness and then at the end of the Gospel of John, you see John the writer himself saying that he's a witness. Look with me in your Bibles. In John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. John, as he reaches the end of his narrative, look at what he says about himself. Speaking of himself, he says this. This is the disciple who is bearing witness. I'm also in the courtroom. I'm also the one testifying, and I witnessed to everything I saw Jesus Christ do, and that is why I've written this account. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. Which things? The things that he's been writing. Who has written these things that we would, that we would know that this testimony is true. That there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. John says, I am this disciple who is writing, and I have written to what? To bear witness. And to tell you that this testimony that I am writing about Jesus is true. Why? I was there, and I saw it. You know, there is no one, no one that can question someone who is present and who sees something for themselves. Amen? And that's what John is saying.
So we see that there was a man who was the witness to the light of Jesus. And then we see how people will react to this witness of John. That's what we begin seeing in verses 9 to 13, the remainder of our text. We see that John the writer now describes Jesus. And what does he say in verse 9? He says that Jesus is what? The true light. And that he gives light to who? Everyone. By true, he means that Jesus is the real light. And that he is the only way out of darkness. I hope and pray that this is a good illustration. It's the best one that I could think of. When I think of what it means to be true light. I want you to think of the difference between light with the sun and a flashlight. See the difference? Jesus is true light like the sun. Think about that difference for a moment. The sun, it's a ball of light. It is always consistently shining. And you can't turn it off. Can you? No. You can turn off a flashlight. The sun never diminishes in its brightness or its potency. It never needs batteries like a flashlight. This is what John is saying. John is making the exclusive claim that Jesus Christ is the only true light. Which means that all other light apart from Jesus is false. Are you with me? There might be truth in what people say. There might be truth in what people claim. But once you take out the batteries from the flashlight, there is no more truth. Because there is only one who is true that shines. And his name is Jesus. He is like the sun. You can never get rid of it. You can never run from it unless you are able to find some shade somewhere. Jesus is the true light. Jesus himself said in John chapter, John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus himself made the exclusive claim that he alone is the light of the world. So if you remove Jesus from the world, what do you have? Eternal darkness. Because there is no true light left. There might be fake light, false light, imitations of life, of light, but not true, pure, everlasting, eternal light. And who does this light give light to? Everyone. So not only is Jesus the true light, but it's only through Jesus that people will come to be able to see this light. John is telling us that the only way out of darkness is found in who? Jesus Christ. And that in order to be saved, anyone and everyone has to come through who? Jesus Christ. We said last week, Jesus made the exclusive claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from me, no one can come to the Father. You'll hear people say that religions are like the city of Rome. All streets lead to where? Rome. Jesus says there's only one way to God, the true creator, and that is through who? The second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Because he is the light, the true light, and his light that he shines is only able to give eternal life. There is no eternity 
peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. That's what John is saying. That's what John is wanting to make clear for us. It's for everyone. He is the only way. And what does he say about this life? This life was coming into the world. So this is the first time in the first place that we see in the Gospel of John where he begins to speak to us about the incarnation. How many of you guys know what the incarnation is? The incarnation is the virgin birth of Mary giving birth to Jesus himself where God takes on flesh becoming a human being. And this is what John is saying here by the fact that the light came into the world. Jesus became a human being. He took on flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the creator who gives life and who sustains life itself. He comes to his creation itself becoming like it. Jesus takes on a physical body. John paints this beautifully for us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. And he says, Having the mind among yourselves which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. What? By what? By being born in the likeness of men. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself of becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the moment of the incarnation of God taking on flesh. And so now we see that the writer John, he jumps from creation at the beginning of the world in Genesis 1 to the coming and the arrival of Jesus into the world Incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, God in person, touchable, tangible, being born into the world. And now John jumps to the beginning of Jesus' ministry in verse 10. While reminding us that this Jesus who came into the world is the one who made the world. So that we would not forget. And so the Jesus who comes, the light that comes to dwell with men, to tabernacle, to be with us, is the one himself who created everything that we see, everything that we touch, everything that we smell, everything that we hear. He comes. And how does the world respond? At the end of verse 10. Yet, the world, what? Did not know him. We first need to understand what, Paul, what John means by using the word world. Is John speaking here of the world in the sense of the cosmos, the planet, earth, the universe, the stars, the galaxy? Is John speaking that there has been rejection from the planet? In all that has been made? No. When John uses the word world here, he is referring to humanity. He is referring to people. He is referring to the created order with which God has brought about all things and specifically about us who have been created in the image of God. That this world, which is found in darkness with no exclusions, has chosen in general as a whole to reject Jesus. This is what we see as part of the response to the light. Humanity chooses to continue in darkness, to want to reject the light. So we can read the words at the end of verse 10 there. Yet the world did not know him. We can also say another way to put it would be that the world did not recognize him. That is what's meant there by known. That when Jesus came, that those who were in darkness, they were unable to see his light. Why? Because they were in darkness. I want you to think with me. 
How many of you have ever had the experience where you were in bed in the dark and a loved one turned on the light or opened the drapes? You know that feeling? What's the first thing you say when that happens? Turn off the light! Why? Because your eyes haven't had time to adjust to the exposure of light. And so it's this moment of great what? Discomfort. Because your eyes can't even open fully because the brightness that is shining in hasn't allowed time for your pupils to dilate. Are, are you following? And so you're like, it's too bright. This happens every morning with my eight-year-old daughter. Daddy, please, no. Turn on the lamp instead. <laughs> This is how the world responds. When Jesus is coming into the world and he comes and he shines brightly, he exposes their darkness. And it is so uncomfortable. It's terrifying almost. Terrifying to the point where the person feels unclothed, naked. That all of their sin and all of their evil and rebellion is now put on display. So what does the world, what do people do as Jesus shines their light, his light? They try to hide. And not only do they try to hide, but they hate the fact that now the light of Jesus has exposed their evil and sin. John, Paul tells us that all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. This is the world that John is speaking of here. Humanity which is completely and utterly found in darkness. And in this darkness what we call this is eternal damnation. The reality that humanity is forever in darkness. And there's only one who can come to remove their darkness. It is the true light. What is his name? Jesus. And listen, Jesus says this himself. Look at John chapter 15, 18 and 19. Look at what Jesus says about this reality here of the fact that the world did not know him or recognize him and how they chose to respond. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. How does the world, how, do, how does humanity respond to the true light of Jesus Christ shining over them? They reject his light, and even more than rejecting it, they hate him. Why? Because his light shines. And so those who believe in Jesus are no longer a part of the world. We're going to see that in verses 12 and 13. That we've been taken out of the world by Jesus himself. That we are no longer those who are in rebellion against God. This is the world that John is painting for us that is hostile towards God and that hates Jesus. Where you see that there is clear animosity because humanity chooses to resist God. And yet this is not God's response. What does Jesus say in John 3.16? To this hostile world who wants nothing to do with the light of Jesus. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves the hostile, rebellious world that has rejected him. And yet he still sends his son, knowing that there will be those who will reject him. But he sends his son for what? So that whomever would believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, God's desire is to save humanity. And his love is rooted in wanting to see his creation know him. So God sends his son. 
Because his son, Jesus Christ, is the revelation of God the Father. Jesus said himself, if you see me, you see the... And so the only way to see God is to be able to witness him in Jesus. He is the revelation, the human form of God in the flesh, who is the one that points us to the Father. And the end goal is what? Is that humanity should not perish. That it would not be lost. So why hate and run from the light? Well, because no one likes to be exposed. The world is unbelieving. And when it sees the light of Jesus shine upon their sin and evil, instead of humbling themselves and repenting, they choose to reject Jesus. Not only do they reject Jesus, but they prefer to stay in the darkness. They would rather continue stumbling in the dark than to turn the light, which is Jesus. And here's the important part. This is done consciously. This is not an ignorant decision. So they have the opportunity. This is exactly what happens in our lives. When we look to Jesus, when he exposes our sin, he reveals the rebellious hearts and our selfish desires, and it makes us feel uncomfortable. And as we read the word of God, and we see where our lives are, and we see what God asks of us, we begin to feel the contention of the Holy Spirit convicting us. And in this moment of discomfort, what do we do? We have two choices. We can accept that God's word in truth is bringing to the surface those things in our lives that we need to deal with. Because God knows that we are rebellious and sinful and that our hearts would prefer the evil sin of this world instead of him. And yet God brings to the surface those things in our life which we try to keep in darkness. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Do you know why I suffered and why I suffered and why I um, battled sexual sin so long when I was a teenager. I was addicted to pornography. I was masturbating. I was doing all of these. Do you know why I suffered for so long? Because I hid it. And I didn't want anyone to know. And so I continued struggling. Because when you keep things hidden, you're preventing God from working in your life. And until you're willing to expose the sin that the light of Christ Jesus is trying to shine in your life, nothing will change. One day in a service, I felt so convicted. I can't even tell you what the preacher was preaching. And there was an altar call, and I came up running to, the, to my pastor, and I looked at him in the, in the ear, and I told him the wrong words. And he was so, so, so surprised at what I said. And he's like, what, what do you want me to pray for you, William? And I said, adultery. He's just like, What? That's how I understood what I was trying to explain to him. And so in his mind, he's just like, who is this guy sleeping with right now? And I'm like, so guess who got a phone call Monday morning from their pastor? This guy. William, I think we should meet. And then I explained to him what was going on in my life. And by God's grace, he got me all the help that I needed. He got me into contact with a program in the United States called Pure Life Ministries. I got a bunch of resources, books, cassettes, cassettes, eh? <laughs> I am not dating myself at all here. I worked through stuff. I found an accountability partner. I found myself crying more than ever as I was going through God's word and asking him to set me free from the bondage of sexual sin. But it wasn't until I was willing to expose my sin and bring it to the light to allow Jesus' light shine that my life changed. So praise God that when Christ's light shine, that you don't reject that light, but that you have this tussle and you're willing to wrestle. The moment you stop wrestling with your sin, 
is the moment you should begin questioning your salvation. I'm telling you. Because the moment that you become comfortable with your sin, you're saying, I would rather stay in darkness than to have the light of Jesus shine upon my life. And as long as you stay in that place where you let God's light shine in you through Christ Jesus, and you're wrestling and you're struggling and you want to obey God, you're in the right place. And God's hand is upon you. And God is convicting you and God is with you because God is wanting to work. And you're not trying to suppress or hide it. But you're being honest with yourself. You're being honest with God. So let sin come to the surface. Let it be exposed. And listen, as long as you follow Jesus, here's what I know. He won't let you continue to live and to walk in sin. He won't. He loves you too much to leave you alone. His Holy Spirit will contend and will convict. And there might even be some brothers and sisters who call you up lovingly. But it's not only the world that rejects Jesus, is it? We see clearly in verse 11 that Jesus' own people reject him. Look at verse 11. The word own here means homeland. It refers to the Jewish nation of Israel. Paul, John again is, is speaking in general terms of all Jews. That they have also chosen to reject Jesus as their light. And if you were to read through the whole Gospel of John, you'll notice that the majority of Jesus' ministry centered around reaching his own Jewish people. His strategy and plan and pattern was to go into cities and villages and to be able to what? To go into the synagogue first because he knew that he was called to reach his own people. And yet his own people, the people that know the Old Testament, they willingly choose to reject Jesus the light. Yet Israel was waiting for a savior. Israel has been waiting for God to send the Redeemer. They know the Old Testament word. They know what God has promised and what God has said. But from the moment out of Egypt, Israel has consistently turned its back on God. God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet to them, calling the people, the nation, to turn back to God. And what do they do instead? They turn their backs on him. And so now when their Redeemer and Savior comes, their heart is void of the Word of God to the point where the Savior is right there in the flesh and blood. And they say, no thank you. I will pass. Even worse, it is them. It is the religious leaders, those who know the Word more than anyone else, who plot Jesus' death and kill him. They reject the light that's shining. I'll leave you with Jeremiah chapter 7 verses 25 and 26 for you to read. For you to see how Israel repeatedly in the Old Testament turns from God. Look at what it says. From that day on from your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day. And he would have been speaking up the prophet Jeremiah of their exile into Babylon. And we would know this because we went through the book of Daniel. I have... I have persistently sent you all my servants, the prophets, to them. Day after day, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear to me, but stiff-necked their people. They are worse than their fathers. And as we come to the New Testament, Israel, they are still, still unwilling to accept John the Baptist and his message of being a light post, of turning people back to God. And you see throughout the whole gospel of John, Israel, the Jews in general, will all reject Jesus Christ as the light. Finally, verses 12 and 13. There are also those who accept the light. Amen? There are not just those who reject the light. The world in general rejects the light. Jesus' own people, the Jews, they reject the light, Jesus Christ. 
But praise be to God that there are those who accept the light of Jesus Christ. They accept the light willingly and joyfully. To all those who did receive him and who believed in his name. All this is significant. Because John now is telling us that Jesus Christ is not just offering salvation to his own people. But now salvation is being offered to who? The whole world. To all. To anyone. To everyone. The floodgates, the doors are opening. For everyone in the world now to be saved by Jesus the light. It's no longer just the Old Testament people of Israel. Now there is a new covenant. <laughs> now God is making a new people. He is not ostracizing or putting aside the people of Israel. Who has rejected Jesus? They have. Jesus has come to his own and his own what? Rejected. He makes the offer. And when we read here in verse 11 of the, the duplicity of receiving and believing, receiving and believing in his name, John is using these two words interchangeably. He's speaking of two ways of saying the same thing. There is no difference between receiving Jesus or believing in the name of Jesus. Both terms are meant to describe when someone acknowledges their sin that has been exposed by the light of Jesus. And instead of running from that light and hiding from Jesus, instead they choose to run towards Jesus. They do this because they know that the only way for them to be forgiven of their sins before God is through the life death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross where he bore the sins, their own sins. And so we, we come to God as sinners because we know that the light of Jesus has shone upon our sin and that he has saved us because he is our only hope, because he is the only true light. And so we come showing complete allegiance to Jesus Trusting completely in Him, accepting His claim as God, confessing Him as our Savior and Lord. This is not some cheap verbal affirmation that someone makes. It is instead a complete life surrender. And so let it not be thought amongst us that receiving Jesus means receiving someone in your home for a meal. And then after a few hours they leave. Or that believing in the name of Jesus somehow means that you have some self-portrait of Jesus that you've constructed in your mind of who you think he is. And that because you have that, that somehow you believe in Jesus. No, no. We're talking about the Jesus who has come into the world. John the Baptist has bore witness to him. John the Apostle has bore witness to him and has written the whole narrative. And so how do we know Jesus? Through his word. And what is it that Jesus does for those who receive him and those who believe in his name? So beautiful. He gives the right to become children of God. So it is through Jesus that you and I have become children of God. You know what that means? That means before we knew Jesus and we were in the world and in darkness, we were what? We were not children of God. That means Romans 5, 8. While you were sinners, while you were God's enemies... While you were far, God sent his son to save. Are you with me? <laughs> and as we hear of Christ Jesus being the light that shines upon us and we see our sin, we humble ourselves and repent and come to God. And as we do that by believing and by receiving him as our savior, he is the one who brings us into the family of God. 
And now we can call ourselves sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. All because of Jesus, our Savior, who has made us who were not children to become children. This is what kind of language? Adoption language, right? We who were in darkness lost with no hope, God has rescued through his son, Jesus Christ. We who were not a people, who were destined to eternal damnation, have now been brought into the family of God by God himself. We have friends here in our church. They have an uncle who owns a business. And many years ago, this uncle, he chose to adopt two children from Russia. Two twins, a boy and a girl. And we re I remember at the time our friends telling us that their uncle, they went over to Russia and the conditions of these children were, were horrible. Horrible. They, are, they were sleeping on a two-inch mat on the ground in a house that had no heat. Freezing. They had nothing to wear. They had very little clothes. You have to understand, my friend's uncle is wealthy. He owns a business. And his heart broke. All the paperwork were filed. All the legal stuff were done. And these children were taken out of that, brought to Canada, to his home, legally made children. And those children who had nothing, today they have everything they need. See that picture? If no one adopted those children, what would come of them? That is us before God. And just so that it's abundantly clear that we are made children of God through Christ Jesus, John emphasizes that this is not through human agency, but that it is through divine will. How does he end in verse 12? Look at what he says. Sorry, verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so what is John bringing? And I'm not going to get into this, but he's speaking of regeneration. He's talking about being born again. He's going to explain this further on in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Of what it means to be spiritually dead and to be revived in our spirit. So just quickly... From a biblical perspective, we who are in darkness are a dichotomy. Do you understand? Let me explain. We have a body, this outward carcass. But in this body resides a spirit and a soul. That spirit soul is eternal. Are you with me? The Bible many times uses the word Spirit and soul interchangeably. There's really no way to distinguish sometimes or to separate our feelings, emotions, and from what's eternal. But what we know is that when we are in the world in darkness, in eternal damnation, that our spirit inside of us is dead. It's destined to be separated from God forever. We are, in other words, dead men walking. We have life in the body, but the spirit inside of us has no life, that which is eternal. Because it is not with God. It is dead. And so, when we come to Christ, when we submit our lives, acknowledge our sin and repent and God saves us, we are 
born again. Through Jesus Christ, we are revived in our spirit. And now we have the guarantee of eternal life with God. So when John says here, who are born, it is speaking of this new life, regeneration. That now we have this life living, flowing inside of us that will carry us into eternity to be with God instead of being in hell. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to hell. And I'm super grateful for that. Amen? Be a great time to say hallelujah. Whew. That in these words here, what John is saying to us, is three things, like there are three negations. He's saying, listen, I want it to be abundantly clear that it is not about descendancy. And this would have gotten the attention of John's Jewish audience. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me now that being a, a son of Abraham is not enough? No, it's not. John is saying, listen, just because you're part of the people of the old God from the Old Testament, that's not going to be enough for you to be saved. Oh, but I'm circumcised. Yeah, I know, but that's not the mark no more. Now you need to be born of God through Jesus Christ. And so the first negation is this, and just because you're from the ethnic people of Israel, don't think you're saved because you're not. Because that's speaking about human agency. It's not who your parents were. It's not who your great-grandparents were. It's one of the things that we try to be really clear in our church. You see, my kids are not going to be saved because I'm the pastor. My kids need to be saved because they recognize their sin, humble themselves, and repent so God saves them. You might think it's an advantage that your kids are here with you and praise God, but they still need to come to the realization of their own sin because it's not through human descendancy or agency. And then he uses two words to talk about sexual intercourse. Yes, I just said it. And the first is to speak of the passion that happens that is not thought about. Right? You guys see that in verse 13? Nor of the will of the flesh. That there are these moments in life where we, as a result of passion, we conceive children bringing them into the world, right? It's not thought of. It happened. And the third is planned. When husband and wife sit down together and they say, we want to have three kids. And so John is trying to cover all of the basis of human agency and using the idea of conceiving, of bringing children into the world, that the way that that happens through physical birth, to say that when you come into God's family, it has nothing to do with physical birth. It has solely to do with God giving you his new life through Jesus Christ who is the life. It's divine will and providence through God, not through anything that humans can do in their own decisions, whether, whatever they may be. We have, each one of us who are in Christ Jesus, been born of God, not by anyone or anything else. Amen? Won't you stand with me? My prayer today for you, for us, is that we would leave here knowing that it has been God's divine intervention that has saved us through the light of Jesus Christ. He is the light of Christmas. And we pray that he would shine brightly in our hearts. We pray that his truth would shine brightly in our minds. And we pray that Jesus Christ would shine brightly enough to expose the areas in our lives where he needs to work. And that he does so lovingly. And listen, my friends, my brothers and sisters, you and I, this whole week, will have opportunities to be witnesses of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Where we go, who we speak to, there will be moments, there will be opportunities for us to speak of the light who has saved us. Let us pray. Lord, we accept the mission. We know who the light of Christmas is. He is the pure light. And he is the light that shines upon all men because he is the only light 
that can give eternal life. Help us be witnesses. Help us bear witness of Jesus, the life. And we pray, Lord God, in the moments that you would give us the right words, that you would help us find places in conversations to be able to present Jesus Christ the light to those around us. Lord, that we would not feel the weight of the results because we know they're not ours. All we pray is that you would help us to be faithful, to be witnesses, to be willing to speak, to be willing to share, to be like John the Baptist and just to bring people to encounter the Savior, Jesus Christ. Use us, we pray. And remind us that we have our own testimonies of how you have saved us to share with those around us. And Lord God, we know that the fruit is in us. That there will be those who accept and that there will be those who reject. But we know, God, that you so love the world that you sent your only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And Lord God, we thank you for our new birth. We thank you that through Jesus Christ we have been brought into the family of God. And today we are sons and daughters of God. We who were not your people are now your people. And that was done through the incarnation of Jesus Christ coming, being a man, living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sin. And that through receiving Jesus and believing in him, now we are your children. We know that this is not done through human agency. But this has been done by God alone. Amen. Let's respond this morning as we worship God together.